This week's episode of Two Tools covers the 2022 World Series and why the Houston Astros are this century's dynasty team. Hot stove season begins, and the Mets are already making moves. Award season is upon us, and who do you have taking home the hardware? We'll reshare our picks coming up now. Hello listeners, my name is Alex Jonitz and I am joined as always by my co-host Travis Miller. I am more of a stats nerd, he was a total stud on his D3 college team. This is the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. Enjoy. What's going on ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. Episode 81. Alex and I are coming to you live. It is Monday night, November 7th. Alex, baseball season has finally ended. We are through the 2022 baseball season. World Series is over. Uh, We'll start off with the World Series, Alex. We're going to cover that first. We're, of course, going to go into some uh, exciting, already free agent deals going through the market right now and some teams already starting to... uh, get their Christmas list fulfilled early. And then, of course, we'll talk about uh, the things that came out today, November 7th, uh, all the finalists for the awards, Manager of the Year, Rookies of the Year, Cy Youngs, and MVPs. They announced the three finalists for each league. So we'll kind of take a dive in into that and uh, and discuss what we see and where, where, that thing will, where everything will result in land. But let's start with the World Series, Alex. Uh, historic World Series. Uh, we saw offense per, offensive performances that we have not seen in a while. We saw a no-hitter. We saw something that hadn't been done since the 50s. Don Larson, the last pitcher to throw a no-hitter in a World Series game. We saw that this year. We saw a basically juggernaut team in the Houston Astros just continue to continue to roll and take care of business and uh they they really took things to it Alex I mean I I'll I'll start off with kind of my opinions on this series uh of course we kind of talked two weeks ago I had Astros you had Phillies Phillies had that magic rolling they had that excitement going right now in the playoffs but it just seemed like the Astros were the better team the better juggernaut in the playoffs this year and this season they really proved it but um, I'll let you kind of start with the with the thoughts on the series, things you would have done differently. I know game six, you had some uh, a lot to talk about. You had that, some yeah. opinions you were voicing to me over uh, over tweets and over text messages. But thoughts on overall in the series right now. Yeah, so I think at the end of the day, the better team won. And Charis, even if the Phillies had won, I would have told you that the Astros were the better team. Mm-hmm. It just really comes down to you know who's playing well at that time. Um, and the Astros uh, ended up playing better in the series, um, I say, by a decent margin. It just felt like the veterans uh, really clicked. You know, Bregman had his clutch doubles here and there. Alvarez, a monster home run to really uh, put the cherry on top of the series at the end there in game uh, game six, it was, right? Yes. Yep. And um, I, I think overall, um, the Astros kind of just showed some of the some of their kind of, you know, we've been there, done that kind of mojo. Um, I'll say I felt really good about the Phillies pick after game three, of course. Um, it was a up 2-1 with two games to go, still in Philadelphia. Um, it really felt like the Phillies were in the driver's seat. The way they got to uh, Verlander in game one was really big. And then in game three, getting to McCullers, who I have such high regard for, told me a lot about you know the Phillies' offense. 
Um, but then Travis, of course, we all know the offense at that point went stale. And that was one of the biggest takeaways for me from the series. Um, not, not so much, you know, I'm not saying that these guys aren't elite hitters because I'm still a fan of a lot of their offensive pieces, but it just kind of goes to show that if your offense is going to go as cold as the Phillies did there in games four, five, six, um, you're just not going to be able to win a, a series like this, especially against a team like the Astros. So one thing I have here, Travis, this stat was from the last day, um, during game six, this was tweeted. So I assume it captured the whole series, but I'm not hundred percent, but this is games four, five, six, um, Real Muto, Hoskins and Castellanos combined one for 36 Wow. with 22 strikeouts. Definitely not what you want kind of out of your meat of the order. That was their like second, third, and fifth hitters for those games. And Travis, something we talked about, um, you know, off the podcast between you and I and, and uh, you know, I think I was talking about it online. I think I was just raving about it was I, I just really disagreed with a lot of the decisions made by, you know, head coach Rob Thompson um, for the Phillies in regards to the lineup. Uh, I, I think that in the playoffs, more so than most, it really becomes about situational baseball. They're just going to walk Harper if there's no protection, for example. Like I think um, when the chips are on the table, it's important to make sure all is right um, with your lineup. And I really didn't like the way they kind of staged things there. It, what, they, what they did wrong, in my opinion... Um, I like Schrauber leading off, especially against a righty pitcher. I might switch that up if it's, if it's a lefty pitcher, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not going to harp on that too much. It's fine with me. Um, Hoskins second, I actually don't have that much of a problem with either. It really depends on the matchup of who's starting the pitching that day. He was cold, so since he's cold, maybe moving back to like fifth. You know, I've got no problem with that. If if, if he's cold, then then so be it. But. He's still one of their better hitters, obviously. I would be hitting Harper second or third in just about every game, depending on the matchup of righty-lefty kind of stuff. Um, I think that hitting him fourth where they had him is just a bit of a problem with uh, the the way that they had their, probably their... So the best hitter is Harper, of course. He's hitting fourth. Then their next three best hitters are all in front of him. And I guess the idea is get guys on base for Harper. But if... If there's not bases loaded, if there's just a guy on second base or no one on base at all, they're just going to walk Harper every time. And they really were pitching around Harper. And I saw some people saying, you know, Harper was like one for eight in the last two games. He had to step up. I'm like, no, no, no. Like he had one of the best postseasons ever. And the Astros realized they can just nibble at corners against him. Um, And if we walk him, the worst case scenario is Castellanos is on deck. Castellanos was uh, pretty cold the whole postseason uh not only that i think he's a big like ground to double play threat and i I hate when a manager hits uh one of my biggest pet peeves i think it's it's an easy thing to avoid i feel like if you have a guy that walks a ton don't put a guy who's always hitting hard grounders right behind him like it's just a common threat like like albert pujols hitting behind mike trout is like a no-no for me just because even though it makes sense in your mind like oh albert can drive these guys in who get on base i get that but I just feel like it's such a waste of uh, momentum and it's just an inefficient way to kind of, you know, structure the offense. If you have a guy like Castellanos, who it feels like a real big free swinger right behind a guy like Harper, who just gets on base like a machine. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's all kind of my philosophy on it. Um, obviously, I'm sure there's other schools of thought, but I, I, I really just kind of thought that 
um, even though this is this this was my thoughts the whole time, right? And and the the argument was what they're doing is working, right? Through through game three, it was working. Yeah. The whole postseason, the offense had been really good. Uh, Harper was hitting well in the four spot. The guys in front of him were hitting well too. Of course, Hoskins, Schwarber had their fair fair share of home runs in the first two series that they played, even in the wild card. So you know, there's there's just tons of things to kind of point to the fact that hey. Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. Um, even though I would have made some tweaks, I was fine with it because it was working. Once you got no hit in game four <laughs> yeah. and then game five, you put up one run. Uh, I think that's when I would have made some changes. And then especially considering the amount of men left on base, Travis, in game five. Um, I don't remember the number, but it was just it felt like. It was like double digits, right? Right. Yeah. And I think that was the that was the Verlander game. Mm-hmm. And it felt like Verlander was in a jam. Like I think every inning but one, he had men on base. Yep. And in multiple innings, he had men in scoring position. And there was just an inability to convert. And some of that's just gonna be bad luck. But I think some of that is the lineup construction. Some of that is, you know, um, like we said earlier, the Ashes had that kind of been there, done that mentality. Maybe some guys in the Phillies were a little shook by the moment. You know, lots of young players in their team, especially in the back side of the order. You know, Bohm, Stott, Marsh, Verling, like the list goes on. So I think that that's part, part of it as well. But I guess my main point was going into game six, Travis, I really don't know how after getting no hit and then putting up just one run off JV after getting men on base, you know, maybe you could say that was bad luck, but I think I would have made some changes at that point. Back against the wall, have to win two in a row. You know, Wheeler on the mound. Um, I think I would have at least just moved Harper up a spot or two in the order. Would have moved Hoskins back a spot or two. Maybe uh, since it's Framber, I know you want like a righty somewhere towards the top. So maybe I would have gone. Maybe I would have gone like maybe Real Muto, Harper, uh, maybe third Hoskins, fourth Schwarber, fifth. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would just try just try to mix things up in a way that. Um, just in a way where you feel like guys are getting fresher looks. Um, have someone that's a threat right behind Harper. And to be fair, I guess, you know, the the best hitters on the Phillies all kind of went cold the last few games, like I mentioned. I mentioned how Rio Muto, Hoskins, and Castellanos all were cold the last three games. So maybe they just didn't have what it took. And, and you know, you can't blame the coach for the loss. There's way more that goes into it in terms of, you know, the pitchers allowing the home runs that they did. And then the hitters, um, you know, striking out as much as they did. So, but anyways, I just kind of felt like there were adjustments that needed to be made that were not made. And that that was my biggest takeaway from, you know, what the Phillies could have done a bit better. But at the end of the day, Travis, um, I don't want to make it all about the Phillies because the Astros, of course, played a heck of a series, a heck of a postseason, a heck of a regular season as well. Just it was totally their year the mm-hmm. whole way through. Um. I really feel really feel bad that uh, a guy like Ranger Suarez didn't get another start after that game three. You know, I, I really would have liked to see Suarez and Nola kind of do like a two headed monster in game seven. Like they both could have like yeah. given us like just hey, give us everything you got today. If you get into trouble, we got another good guy behind you. Yep. I really would have liked to see something like that. You know, but um, you're you're Alvarez, Travis. He had other plans. He sent a ball to the moon, dead yeah. center, yep. and um, that's really what did it. And I, I want to kind of transition over to the Astros, Travis, because um, you know we can talk about the Phillies uh, all we want, and mm-hmm. they were kind of the team of the postseason up until you know Game Four. It really just took a, a momentum shift 
uh, thanks to Christian Javier and the bullpen. But um, the Astros did so much right, Travis. The Astros, they had the bats. The uh, experienced veterans did their job like they always do at the plate. Furlander, after a rough game one, did bounce back. Despite being in traffic, I think the Phillies missed an opportunity to capitalize more in game five. He still did his job getting out of jams. Um, Framber was great. And the bullpen, Travis, I think, had a historic performance. Brian Abreu and Ryan Presley, yeah. I think they, I forget they combined for like 15, 20 innings, something like that. They they allowed zero runs. It was it was just crazy. And they both did a miraculous job. Um, g- give me your biggest takeaways about the Astros in terms of, um, you know, they've had these few years. Travis, honestly, if they lost this game, we just did this whole thing a couple weeks ago about the Dodgers and how they just can't get it done. Yeah. But if they lost this, if they lost this series, we would have had to have a similar conversation about the Astros saying, Definitely. "Hey, they keep getting here, but they just can't get it done. Is it just bad luck, or is there something wrong?" But they they proved this this Definitely. week, this last week, there's not something wrong. We got it done. Why do you think that was? Give me your biggest takeaways from that side of things. Yeah, if they couldn't have wrapped things up this year, I definitely would have would have looked down on this whole entire dynasty as it's it's just as good as until you get to the World Series and you have to face a National League East team. And for some reason, the National League East just has your number the whole entire uh, the last couple of years. But, um, you know, going down to why I think the Astros won this series, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to it's it's somewhat obvious, but um, great pitching performances. I mean, we saw Framber Valdez, uh, who actually, you know, I know Jeremy Pena, rightfully so, won the World Series MVP and talk about a guy that is a rookie, Alex, and comes in and wins the American League Championship Series against the Yankees, wins the MVP in that series, and then wins the MVP in the World Series after replacing a guy who we looked at as an MVP candidate last year in Carlos Correa. I mean, how do you replace a guy like that and you produce this well in October? It's 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 magical. You can't explain it. I, I don't really know what to say that Jeremy Pena has already matured this much, but um, I mean, good for him, and he's off to a great start to his career. But you look at the next guy up that, honestly, um, if it wasn't Pena, it was probably this guy. Framber Valdez was most likely going to win the World Series MVP if Jeremy Pena was not on this team. Um, what what he was able to do in Game 2, and then, of course, what he was able to do in Game uh, Game 6, it just really silenced these uh, these Philly bats. And it's interesting because he is there. He's the only lefty on their team, right? Um, besides starting pitching the regular starters because you have Verlander you have Framber you have Lance you have Javier and you have Luis Garcia so he's their only right. lefty and it's just funny that the the Phillies lineup is majority righties but their biggest hitters are Harper and Schwarber and their lefties and their bats were a little bit calmed down in game two and in game six but um the job that he did and then of course the job that Christian Javier did I mean this is a guy that I think he had a combined no hitter earlier this year in New York against the Yankees. And he's able to provide the same sort of magic in game four of the world series at the Phillies. So he's just a good away pitcher for that. And then of course, Justin Verlander having his, I would say Alex, his, I don't know how to describe it, but he had his almost, I don't want to say his career moment, but he got that playoff win or I'm sorry. He got that world series win. Right. Um, what was it? Oh, and six. One of the big things that, you know, it's not going to keep him out of the hall of fame or anything, yeah. but it's just one of these things that people kind of point to as a blemish. Right. And he, mm-hmm. he took, he took care of it. Finally. He did definitely. And I think right now he's second all time behind Andy Pennant for the most wins in, uh, in, in postseason history, but, uh, was able to get that world series win. 
he's kind of like the uh, I would say the Aurelis Chapman, where you almost look at so many big moments where he cannot show up for his team. Um, yeah, he's had a couple no decision games in the World Series where he's pitched really well, but wasn't able to get the win. And kudos to that, because we all know, you know, a win really isn't the most important stat when you look at pitching, but was able to get that monkey off of his back, get the dub in game five. And then, of course, transition that series back to Houston for game six for Framber to uh, to run away and get that victory. But again, you look at the starting pitching between those uh, those three guys, Javier Valdez and Verlander. And then, of course, like you pointed out, the. Uh, the bullpen work, Brian Abreu, I mean, I think it was five innings in the World Series and zero earned runs. And then between uh, and then also looking at Lance, I'm sorry, Ryan Presley, it was five and two thirds, zero earned runs. Crazy. Um, I mean, you look at two guys that you're getting zeros with and then you got guys like Rafael Montero. You got uh, you Neris. got Jose Urquidy. You got Stanek. You got, you know, Hector Neris. You got so many great guys to come out of that bullpen that you're looking at starting pitching and saying, can you guys get us? five innings go out there pitch five we'll get the uh we'll get the relievers in there and of course they're all righties and they seem to just do the job and so um i mean that that's that's the main point in my opinion why the astros won the world series and then of course timely hitting bregman had some really really clutch hits i think it was game four he had that uh, double where uh where jordan alvarez got beamed and it was bases loaded jordan got hit a run came in, only one nothing, no damage really done. And then, of course, Bregman comes up and clears the bases with a double. And then Tucker comes up, I think, and got another single or a double again. But um, it just seemed like some really timely hits in those games. Uh, and then, of course, game five as well, starting off the game great against Noah Syndergaard. Uh, and then, of course, able to uh, battle it out in the end and get the dub 3-2. And then game five, of course, um, you needed your big slugger to come through in the biggest moment. Um, I, I think I told you, Alex, it was almost like the Jorge Soler moment of last year. Jordan's home run was so monumental. It was so massive. It just felt like that was just the uh, that was that was the finisher. And and Jordan was able to uh, to help his team clinch the World Series right then and there. But uh, I, I mean, again, things would have been looked at a, a lot differently if they were not able to clinch this World Series and if they were not able to win it and bring a title home. Um, I think now most people can definitely say, or you know, at least the, 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 the skeptical people going back to 2017 can kind of, um, that can all be put to rest. And, you know, Astros are world champions. They had a great season, 106 wins, probably one of the most complete teams this whole season. So at least it's kind of funny that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at the whole playoff structure and we were saying, you know, OK, Dodgers are out. The Braves are out. The Mets are out. Is this really a fair playoff structure? But the Astros really proved us all right or wrong by winning the World Series after winning 106 games. And just by saying, you know, I think they had what? six or seven less wins than the Dodgers, but they're the most complete team when it comes to the regular season and October baseball. They proved it again. Um, and they again, they just have these just scrappy players like McCormick, like Bregman, like Pena that just, you know, seem to do the job. I mean, you look at Jose Altuve, kind of that heartbeat of that lineup was just awful all October long. Kind of gets things rolling again in the World Series, but he just had so much support that you are able to go through that tough of a stretch and still sweep in the division series, sweep in the championship series, and then go into the World Series and play a hard-fought six games. But uh, just a complete team, Alex. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Um, it, it. It's almost like one of those things now where you go to Vegas before the season starts, and it's almost dumb to not pick the Astros to win the World Series because they're going to get there. It's almost like Astros winning the AL pennant needs to be almost a automatic bet now nowadays because you're they're going to get there. If they get to the playoffs... 
they have the magic, they have the experience, they have the knowledge on how to deal with certain games. Most teams just can't seem to figure out, but the Astros every single year just seem to do it, um, do it the right way. And we're able to get in, of course, the World Series again to play, uh, play NL East team. But, you know, of course, this time taking care of business and uh, world champions now. But yeah, what I mean, again, exciting World Series. Um, Dusty Baker, first time getting a ring in his career. So he's can put that that goes to bed as well. I know we, he looks back at all the games and all the World Series, uh, you know, opportunities that he's had, especially the teams that he's had special runs with. Um, going back 2002 with the Giants, a 3-2 lead, um, couldn't able, wasn't able to secure that series. And then, of course, in 2003, the next year with the Chicago Cubs, I think they had a 3-1 lead on the Marlins in the championship series. They lost that series with that um, crazy Moises Moise, uh, Moise Alou play in left field. Uh, and then, of course, he had he was he was a manager, of course, for some really good national teams, some really good Cincinnati Reds teams. And then, of course, the Astros um, came in in 2020. Um, and, you know, last year, of course, was a disappointment, but was able to secure it this year. So I, I definitely can at least think that he's at peace now. And uh, I don't think he's going to retire, but I think that definitely he at least can say, you know, I got that monkey off my back as well. Him and Verlander can both be very happy. <laughs> yeah, th those are some good feel-good stories of like the whole way the Astros, you know. I mean, a lot of people don't like the Astros, Travis, but there's some things that you can kind of say, oh, like that's a good feel-good story mm -hmm. to come out of this. Another one is, of course, Trey Mancini. Exactly. You know, just a couple years ago, I think he had stage three or four cancer and, and was able to get back to the MLB yep. in just a year, only taking a year off. And then all of a sudden, finds himself in the World Series. Gurriel goes down with an injury, is forced into the starting role of first base and gets the win in game six. So obviously, um, you know, there's t there's tons to still like um, for and all the One of the, the craziest plays at first base, I'll say too, with that Schwarber knocked down in like the eighth inning of game five that yes i mean i again i i was i was thinking it before it happened i i don't i don't even want to imagine what it's like to be holding a runner on and you have a shore up at the plate and he is about 90 feet away and he could just pull one right at you and i mean i mean talk about 110 miles an hour at your talk pace. about reflexes that i i can't even imagine happening with that ball just being sniped at you and you got to react some way or another you don't you almost don't want to body it up because it's going to hurt so badly but you got to body it up and you know save your team's chances but I mean, talk about <laughs> it takes guts. It takes guts. And I mean, kudos to guys like Schwarber and Harper, this whole entire playoffs. I mean, they had they had they were they were on another level with 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 Schwarber. I feel like every single at bat Schwarber was either either going to walk or hit a home run. He was going to have a productive at bat um, up until except for the punt. <laughs> up until his last at bat. Yes. Of yes. the World Series. And we'll talk to that just for a brief minute. I don't want to stand that too long, but I, I, obviously, Travis, I don't get it. Um I heard that this could be wrong, but I did hear a stat that said um, every time he tried to bunt during the season, I think it was three times, mm -hmm. ended up being a hit. So maybe um, my thought is he just knows that if I get this down, the shift was so it was so big with uh, with two strikes. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure everyone's on the right side of yes. the field. You yep. know, they know he's not he's not he's not a guy who stops at Oppo ever. So um, you know, I think he says if I just get this ball on the grass on the left side of the infield it's a base hit mm -hmm. um, at the very least. So yep. um, it was a risk he took. I, I somewhat slightly get the mindset just because you're down by a few, you need base runners, like swinging for the fence, although it would be great momentum. But there's two outs. <laughs> but of course there's two outs and two strikes. And you're and down by three runs. Maybe yeah. he's confident in his bunting ability, but um, I, I just think that, you know, Unless you're the type of guy who bunts regularly, yeah. I just don't want you bunting in a scenario where the stakes are that high if you don't get it down. And of course, he does not get it down. 
Um, the pitcher's not even in the zone, I don't think. And, yeah. and it results yeah. in a strikeout inning over. Um, you know, if you got it down and then, then Hoskins hits a home run, we talk about it differently probably. But, you know, of course, the way it went was not the way they wanted at all. I'm, you know, as we know, an uh, anti-bunt guy. And uh, he just kind of, you know, one of the best things, Travis, I sent it to you, um, that they someone tweeted like almost like just a comedy tweet saying, uh, what was it? It was Schwarber's bunt. Um, was it a, a sacrifice? Yeah, it, it was a sacrifice bunt, but not in the way that you think. He sacrificed. He sacrificed his at bat. That way, uh, Smoltz and Arod will never uh, tell hitters to bunt again. So <laughs> it, I thought it was pretty good, but. Um, yeah, it's obviously a decision that we're going to scratch our heads at for a while, but he did so much for the rest of the postseason that, you know, you, you can't really, uh, crack down on him too hard. I will say that the fact that they, um, essentially it was, yeah, they got Schwarber out on the bunt and then it was, um, of course, Hoskins, uh, Real Muto, Harper and Castellanos. So those are the last five batters of the postseason for the Phillies. And the fact that the Astros kind of burned through them that last time, it really kind of put to bed, you know, the meat of the order that really just kind of got cold yep. late in the series. So kind of symbolic for the way that the series ended. And, you know, the 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 Astros, as we kind of see time and time again in every single series this postseason, uh, they just happened to be able to get it done. Um, just consistent bats, I'd say. Consistent mm-hmm. bats and, and the bullpen, of course, just uh, when it's that untouchable, not much you can do, but... That's more or less, um, you know, my thoughts on the series. Anything else, Travis? Yeah, I mean, I, it was it, it, it didn't have the moments that we've seen, of course, in a lot of World Series where, you know, go back to like the Cubs and the and the Indians in 2016, where you have just iconic, you know, late inning home runs and crucial elimination games. But it did have a lot of uh, dramatic moments, I would definitely say, in those in those games in Philadelphia that were just so crucial because you knew Philly did not want to go to Houston down in the series, and you knew that the the Astros did not want to go home again for another year home, uh, you know, down in the deficit and have to try to claw their way back in the series and, you know, possibly even lose in front of their home fans in Houston. So it, it definitely was some some exciting games after uh, I would say after that seven nothing blowout from uh, game three in the Phillies, the no hitter was fun. And then, of course, game three or sorry, game five was uh, really exciting down to the wire with you have Verlander trying to get that first win. Um, and then, of course, some timely hitting by the Astros. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it 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 was a great series. It was a great postseason. It was fun to see the entire postseason all the way through. You got six teams from both sides. This is how the uh, the end result uh, occurred. And, you know, rightfully so. The Astros, uh, we can definitely say we're one of the best teams this whole, whole season. So uh, really no no complaining too much by uh, by that. You know, it, it would have been fun if we would have saw some sort of like Guardians and Phillies series, Alex. We would have been saying, this is this is this is crazy. These teams were okay in the regular season, but they just had three weeks of insanely hot baseball. Now they're playing for World Series championship. I think we could all say Braves, Dodgers, Mets, Astros, Yankees, they're all better teams, but they're not going to win the World Series this year. But at least the uh, I, I think a clear favorite in the Astros won the World Series this year. But uh, yeah, I mean, definitely a good time to move on to uh, to some hot stove season, Alex. It's, that, uh, that's right. I Just the day after the World Series ended, we already were getting you know, notifications that morning, like of new things that yes. were happening, trades, signings. And we're just like, oh, like that was fast. Like we, on, just, yeah. we just finished the. Uh, baseball last baseball game of the season and all of a sudden we're into the uh the off season of course and travis just a couple um you know kind of 
things to go over on this front. Of course, uh, Edwin Diaz was the, it's definitely the biggest uh, transaction or not really transaction, just the extension mm-hmm. signing so far uh, of this off season. Edwin Diaz, I believe it's five years, 102 million, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, that is the biggest uh, money guaranteed for a relief pitcher ever, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I heard someone, someone made a post that it was, um, there's kind of funny I guess it's very comparable to Aroldis Chapman what Aroldis Chapman got with the Yankees if you compare that deal to the Diaz deal it's almost identical in terms of if you factor in um the amount of payroll increase the payroll has increased mm-hmm. by like 20 percent since then and his contract's like 20 percent bigger so kind of funny there but give me your overall reaction to the Mets saying we want to keep Diaz as a, a staple of our bullpen um it's of course Five years is a huge commitment to a position like relief pitcher where it feels like every year there's like this volatility, this uncertainty, there's an up and down nature to it. But give me your first impression of Mets saying we got to keep this guy in our pen. Yeah, Mets are, I mean, I know Steve Cohen is definitely showing the fan base that he cares and he wants to continue this winning trend with the New York Mets. And, you know, talk about one of the most electric and lockdown guys last year in Edwin Diaz. Uh, bringing him back for not only one, but five years. Uh, is he overpaid? Of course. Um, I don't think any reliever is, you know, should be making $100 million. Uh, we, we definitely can see Edwin having some uh, uh, seasons where he slips off a little bit. Maybe it's this year, maybe it's next season. Uh, you know, most times you see in the last couple of years, we, we've seen Liam Hendricks not have some great seasons. We've seen uh, you know, even this year as being Angel fans, we did not see the best, even though the underlining stats were still very good. Uh, but Rysel Iglesias was, of course, uh, probably not earning what he had got in free agency from the Angels. I think it was, what, like four years and $60 million or something like that. But he'll, of course, be being getting paid out the the most part of the of the contract for the next three seasons from the Atlanta Braves. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's definitely a sign that the owner is saying to his fan base, you know, this is just the closer and I'm giving him this much money. Just just wait till like, you know, just wait till the bigger dogs get on the market. Uh, Aaron Judge could be a possibility. Could he go after uh, a great starting pitcher? There's a lot of pitchers on the on the market this year. Carlos Rodon, Aaron Nola, uh, Justin Verlander. I don't know if he wants to bring back uh, Jacob deGrom, but, you know, I, I think that you're you're not you're not going to be spending a hundred million dollars on a closer and just by just j- just finishing off with that i think that that steve cohen has a lot more left in the bank that he wants to be making some transactions on later this uh later this fall and later this winter that i i think will definitely shake up and and improve this team in the mets it's going to be a team that's just going to be firmly built on i'm going to overpay everybody but I'm going to get the best talent because I want to win a world series for this city and for this organization. So uh, it's a start in the right direction. Um, you know, I think that it's, I think it's a good deal, but at the same time, I, I just don't know about relievers getting that much money anymore. I mean, I think you, you've seen so many guys over the past, you know, teams over the past couple seasons, just have guys that just seem to show up in October, show up in the big moments. And you can basically ride that for a while. You know, I look at always the Braves, in 2021 i mean um is it aj mentor and uh tyler matzik i mean these guys are not getting paid millions and millions of dollars i don't i don't even think they're getting paid north of 10 million dollars probably but they just have insanely good seasons and insanely good uh post seasons and they're able to ride that and so 
Uh, and it's funny that this season, you know, you look at the Astros. I don't think Brian Abreu is getting paid that much money. I don't think Montero is getting paid. I know Press is getting paid a lot of money. Yeah. But uh, you, you, most of the bulk of the bullpen is built on guys that are only getting paid one or two million dollars a season. The you depth, know? right? You're looking at guys that are younger, guys that have high velo, you know, guys that hitters have not seen ever. And I, and you know, I know a lot of teams got a lot of sneaky good arms in their farm system, but. Uh, It'll just be interesting to see how this plays out. But I, I I do like that Cohen is, of course, staying aggressive and saying, um, you know, last year we, of course, got unlucky. The last week of the season, we just dropped a huge series to Atlanta. We had to go home and play the Padres. The Padres beat us. The Padres were on a great roll. But, you know, I'm not giving up on this team. This is just a start. So at least the aggressiveness shows the fan base that, hey, there should be more to come later in the future. Yeah, I I. I think that overall the deal for Diaz uh, makes sense in terms of dedication to winning like you said and I think that even though um, even though Steve Cohen is having to dish out much more money than I think the reliever mm -hmm. probably generates in terms of value to the team I mean Alex just look at Diaz and look at the Cleveland Guardians Right. He, he's probably making more money than their entire pitching staff. I mean, I, I have to I double mean, check on Class that, A but. and all those other guys are getting paid, I mean, right. way, way less. It's just right. insane. Yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, Diaz, you know, we talk about how great Judge's contract year was, Travis. Diaz had a contract year of his own. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he's definitely was going to become a free agent and he had. Travis, on no exaggeration, it was really a historic relief season. Yes. I think it probably doesn't get talked about enough. Um, his numbers, I mean, I challenge you at home. Find a Mariano Rivera relief season that has numbers that look like uh, that look like uh, Diaz's. Like in terms of yeah. the strikeouts, the best closing pitchers ever don't usually have strikeouts like how Diaz had. You're know, striking out 50% of the batters he faced. So um, it really was a spectacle to see him, you know, do what he did in the mound uh, to close out games mm -hmm. for the Mets. A huge reason, of course, why they were able to get, uh, you know, was it 100 wins, 99. 101 wins 101 wins yeah, yeah. so i mean the the biggest reason one of the biggest reasons why they were able to do that is because they had a guy they could trust out of the pen but i'll say travis obviously probably not going to generate a 20 million dollars of value a year yep. mm -hmm. from from a, uh, a guy who pitches you know a few times, Two times a, week, a week probably <laughs> yeah but with that in mind um i have no problem with the deal in terms of the ownership level uh, a guy who's willing to spend money to win. I think that's what Mets fans want. Um, if you let him walk and replace him with some cheaper guys, um, there's definitely some upside with that because you can budget and get more money for other players. But at the same time, if your bull, if your bull, if your bullpen crumbles next year, you're going to really regret letting that guy walk if he succeeds for another team, especially if it's a team maybe he's closing games out against you, and then that that will just be the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, I think that there's tons to like about it. Even though even though the, the the amount of money seems too high, um, but uh, Travis, moving on, uh, one of the other big uh, conversations I want to have, um, Aaron Judge is finally now a free agent. There's been so much buzz about where he might end up signing. I found like an interesting thing on Twitter, and it just kind of goes over um, some of the different options that he's gonna have. Of course, he's gonna meet with you know a handful of teams. I imagine he'll take his time. I don't think yes. he wants to rush to a decision here. Um, maybe in his heart of hearts, he really wants to stay a Yankee. I'm not sure. And maybe he would sign a deal with them early if they gave him the number he wanted to hear. But I imagine after the season he just had, 
He'll wait till they, you know. Um, He'll take all of his time to get his offers, yeah. And let, yeah, let a little bit of a bidding war happen, um, maximize that money he can get. But Travis, I have a little exercise for us to play, a fun little game. Um, these are just the different betting odds at the moment for where Aaron Judge uh, will play next season. So the favorites are the Yankees right now, minus mm-hmm. 165. So that's a pretty heavy favorite there saying uh, that they think that Aaron Judge will remain a Yankee. The next best odds, according to this here, is plus 300 Giants, hmm. then plus 450 Dodgers, then plus 1,000 Mets. And after that, it kind of starts, <laughs> wow. it starts it starts falling off a lot more. It's like plus 1,600 Red Sox, plus 2,200 Cubs, plus 20, what is that, 800 for the Cardinals, and then down to the Angels, actually, plus 2,800. Let's go. And then after that, it just gets ridiculous. <laughs> we're like, you know, you're getting yeah, these random yeah. teams, Rangers, Mariners, the list goes on. But those top teams, it really just feels like the big markets. Um, I guess Rangers could spend a billion dollars for fourth place again, right? Uh, that that definitely... Seager, Simeon, and... Uh, that definitely could be a game plan. Yeah, that could be a yeah. game plan. But, but Travis, if you had to bet, you know, say 50, yeah. 50 bucks on one of these teams... Obviously, the Yankees seem like the best uh, odds to win, but you're not going to get that much money back. Yeah, yeah. Who, who, who's, who's, uh, who are you leaning towards for this race for Judge? Who do you think is going to maybe come out as a surprise guy? Or maybe you just feel so good about the Yankees, you're going to bet there. What, yeah. what do you think? I, I don't see – I think you mentioned Red Sox. I mean, if they're not even going to sign uh, Bogarts, I don't see them at all trying to go after Judge. They couldn't even – Resign Mookie. I mean, they couldn't they, keep Mookie. So Devers has apparently not gotten his deal quite yep, yet. So yep. So I don't see Red Sox at all. Of course, Angels. You know, that'd be fun. That'd be cool. But it's not really in need right now. Um. So not really looking at that area. They're not looking to drop another huge contract when you know Shohei's extension is probably their main focus right now. So not at all looking at that. Um. Out of those teams, you know, honestly, I I really see the Giants. Um. I I know their president or baseball operations guy i forget what his name is but i think he's an old dodger but i think he mentioned that he was going to basically he, he basically wasn't going to be outbid he i think that's what it, what, what he i, had saw, I saw that headline as well and so um i i have faith that the giants you know i have not seen a huge giants um you know, score in a, in a while when it comes to landing a big free agent. So I feel like their time is now they're going to want to get a big back to basically kind of prove to their fans, prove to the NL West that they can still be a tough team to play with. Um, looking at this season, the Giants were 81 and 81. And so you look at uh, that record, if they would have won you know, six more ball games, they'd be looking at a tie right now at the Phillies. So uh, the Giants are still a team that's good. Now, of course, they're going to be losing some pieces. Carlos Rodon will be uh, most likely exiting. I don't think they're going to re-sign him. But uh, I mean, I think it's a guy that they can make a huge splash with. They have not made a lot of noise in the free agent market in a while. So I think that uh, if I had 50 bucks right now, I'd probably just lean it and put it towards the Giants. But again, Dodgers always love to make some noise in the offseason. They love to always get that top free agent guy um and with everything i'm hearing with of course you mentioned a couple weeks ago mookie possibly moving to second base maybe the giant maybe the dodgers have some sort of uh, strategy to get judge and then of course maybe trade some assets away to another team maybe to to you know look to get some more pitching they they're right now in a really interesting situation alex i mean bueller will not be pitching for them next season kershaw's a free agent heaney's a free agent tyler anderson's a free agent so I'm, I'm assuming they're going to go after some of those guys to bring them back, but um, 
the starting pitching right now for the Dodgers, you're just looking at Julio Urias and a couple of, uh, you know, young prospect arms. So uh, do they focus at the, at the, you know, in the, in the lineup area, do they focus on the defense or do they focus on the pitching? Uh, that'll be a big question mark for them. But uh, I think the giants are, are, are the safe, not the safe pick, but I think I'd put my 50 bucks on the giants right now. They just seem like they want to bring the, the hometown guy, back to uh, the Bay Area and uh, or at least nor- Northern California area. And so I-, I think the Giants are my probably my pick right now. But I think I mentioned to you about two or three weeks ago, I thought I'd mentioned he, I think he stays with the Yankees. But yeah, in terms of uh, making some money, plus 300 seems seems like a good deal. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, I, I, I always want to count in the Dodgers, right? They're just like the team that you cannot write off in any bidding war. Yeah. They will be in. They'll be listening or giving an offer for for pretty much any you know top line free agent or trade uh, guy in the trade block. But I just don't know if they're gonna give the amount of years that Judge will probably ask for. Yeah. I think that's my biggest pause with them. I think they love the idea of a shorter term deal with a high AAV like they gave to Bauer. Um, I think that's like their ideal situation for like, hey, we'll just write out the high payroll this season. Yep. And um, we'll just kind of sacrifice that for the sake of having more flexibility in a few years. The contract will expire and we can uh, make adjustments if needed. And instead of, you know, imagine Travis, imagine if they offered Bauer like, you know, five, five, six, seven years and like (laughs) a low AAV. Like that'd be much worse for them, even though, of course, like he's suspended. and It's not like it's not like it's that big of an issue for them. They just Mm -hmm. don't have him on the team. So it's no problem. But um they, they know they're going to sell out almost every single series that they're just saying, you know what, the, the money's already getting paid for by itself because, you know, these players are basically, uh, are you know, we're, we're not losing any money right now because right. We're, we're just making fat stacks on selling drinks and beer and, and food here. And the then, micheladas, of course, selling yes. The micheladas, yes, the $25 ones. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I that, that's a very good uh look right there i don't i think judge wants long term i don't think exactly. he wants five or six years i think he's 30 31 he's probably looking at a deal that takes him to 40 um and he's wanting i'm, I'm assuming he's definitely wanting north of 30, 300 million dollars oh yeah so, uh, without a doubt it's really interesting that you know I, I i looked at that and i looked at of course uh getting a little off topic but i looked at uh, carlos correa because of course he opted out and is going to be a free agent but um it's just crazy. It's kind of a steal when you look at the whole Corey Seager money. I mean, I think Corey Seager's a great shortstop, but 10 years, uh, 325 mil. I don't think Correa is going to get that. And I don't, I, I think Judge might get somewhere near that, but Seager's it, not on his level. It's it's, it, it's funny that like, it's, both, just, it's nuts. Both the Seager and Lindor contracts, although I do think that they're spectacular players, mm-hmm. it just feels like those might have been some sort of high point in the market, like you're saying. Um, I do think that Correa could end up with that kind of money but at one point in the last offseason after Correa or sorry after Seager inked that deal and then the lockout happened yes. and then afterwards Correa was kind of still available yeah. we both kind of knew like he's not going to get that Seager contract yeah. and we didn't know what was going to happen people were talking about like Orioles and like I'm like what's happening with this yeah, Correa market yeah. and eventually it was like a twin short-term deal which kind of paid off because he had a sneaky good season this year he'll still get a huge amount of money but uh, this coming off season, but I do wonder where that might be. Um, but last note on the judge thing. Um, I last, like I was saying, the Dodgers, I don't think that, you know, like we said, I think they like to dish out long-term money for guys who have like, 
very trustworthy track records yep. in regards to both injury history and in regards to at least being productive every season. Um, guy like Betts, the defense, um, and the, the base running <laughs> the, and the availability, yep. him pretty yep. much not having these injury issues. Um, at least it's a very short injury stints when he does get hurt. I think that's a huge plus. There's also the versatility component playing yep. second base, which is not really why they signed him, but he has that ability. And then yep. Freeman is yep. someone, Travis, who, you know, I think the DH becoming a part of the NL uh, definitely helps, you know, maybe in a few years down the road, the off the, the defense declines and he becomes a DH. But I think also the fact that he's just a consistent bat. He's not one of these guys that has up and down years. He pretty much always is going to be like, one of the top 10 hitters in the National League. Um, that's a reason why they're willing to give him that sort of guaranteed, here's a longer-term deal. But with Judge, um, hats off to the season he just had. Um, I don't think whatever team signs him, they're not going to expect him to do that yeah. next season, yeah. right? It's going to be, um, we hope that you can be an MVP uh, finalist kind of guy in the future, but we're not signing you to be that guy every yeah. single season. Mm -hmm. I think most people probably know that um, as great as he has been this last year, the couple years prior, he was just simply a really good top of the league at his position kind of guy. Like yeah. I, I think going into the, into last season, Travis, he was probably like our fourth or fifth or third best right fielder. I forget where we had him exactly, but mm -hmm. we had him, we had him below like That's I think Acuna and, and and uh you got Betts, tucker you got soto you know, was there last yeah, season yeah, so yes, like you got a lot of guys um it was it was in the, in, you know going in the next season i think most people will have judged at the top of that list but it just kind of goes to show that year after year things can change um in that regard yeah. and he might not be you know top three at the position next season because it's such a loaded spot but yes that being said do, do you think that is um do you think Judge's ceiling for the the best season of his career is last year last year you, oh yeah yeah you think nothing will ever be topped yeah, I think that 63, I don't think 63 <laughs> is in his future, um, but that is a good, I'd like to see which, which, you know, MLB analyst is going to come out here and predict 63. I, I, I dare you. So I dare someone out there. Hopefully he John just, Heyman, just, just put your money down. Hopefully he doesn't uh, reawake uh, Roger Maris Jr. <laughs> um, um, imagine Travis, imagine next October, next August or September, we have to get more tweets from Maris Jr. Someone else he, is, is on an the NL guy run. now. Yep. Yeah. Someone else is on the home run chase, but um, I think one of my biggest, uh, you know, thoughts about the whole, you know, like you said, Judge, um, was this his peak season? Um, you know, I think even when healthy, like he was in 2021, yeah. he's still like a 950 OPS guy, mm -hmm. you know, 900 plus for sure. Um, but, you know, being as high as he was, I think also the 11 war or whatever it was, yeah. Um, yeah. that's just something that is uh, a monstrous year. But not something that guys do year after year after year. Betts had that crazy 2018. Hasn't really produced a war season over 10 ever since then. Um, I think you're just paying him for the OPS plus above like a 140. Yeah. It's a pretty yeah, I, good floor. I think that's a good floor. Yeah. I think the ceiling next year, a reasonable ceiling, like a, like a 90. 170. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Um, and then... Which is uh, like, which is, you know, and then you're going to get a guy like Mike Trout's average. So, <laughs> right. And then you, you, with Judge, you're getting, of course, the defense in right field, the ability to switch to center field if needed. Um, there's versatility there as well. So the defense travels, which is really nice with him. You know, you're going to get a good defender that has just mm -hmm. a, an absolute absurd power level to his bat. So um, 
all that kind of stuff. There shouldn't be a drop off on all of that. There could be, of course, a drop off on the, you know, the on base percentage on the batting average, that sort of thing as the seasons, you know, progress and he gets older. But I, like I said, I think he's a guy that will be aging very nicely with, um, with, with what he can still produce. I think he's going to be a guy that could hit 40 home runs when he's 40 years old. I think he could be that guy still, but um, again, going, and again, it'll be funny going to San Francisco. If he goes to the giants, you will of course see probably a drop off in the home runs. It will be interesting to compare if he plays the same amount of games injury free um, to see how he does in a, in a giants uniform at Oracle park where Yankee stadium was the easiest place to hit home runs. Now you go to a place where it is absolutely so difficult to hit, hit one out of the ballpark. Um, it'd be fun to see exactly how those numbers shift changing ballparks. Yeah, and I think that um, the Universal DH also helps the NL market too for him. A team like the oh, Giants, yeah. a team like the Dodgers, um, a team like the Mets are all more willing to give him you know, a deal into the late 30s if they know, hey, maybe your speed really drops off. Maybe the reaction time really uh, yep. dips down in your late 30s. We can put you as a DH half the time if needed. You know, there's that uh, extra level of security for them. So the market should be, of course, very active for him, even though it feels like there's only a handful of teams that are really willing to dish out, you know, a 330, yeah. 350, maybe even north of that yeah. uh, like contract. 10, 10 teams or so, yeah. At most, yeah. So um, we'll be tracking that throughout the offseason. Um, we'll save all the other kind of speculation projections predictions for where these guys will sign we'll save that for a couple episodes down the road because we have a lot of offseason here to cover travis um i'm really excited to kind of you know go through the free agent list and say you know uh where do these guys probably want to play uh who's going to offer the money who has the need um l- later this offseason i'd love to do a thing where we like go team by team and yeah. say you know or division by division like you know this week we'll do the al you know which teams have what needs where do we see uh, them targeting guys so i think that'd be a, a good kind of fun segment but Travis, before we wrap up this episode they're just like you mentioned in, in the in the intro there was the american league and national league finalists for all the awards um that we can go over now we can give our kind of reaction to like who made the top three so for those that don't know top three in american league mvp and national league mvp cy young's coach of the year rookie of the year all the top threes were announced uh mm-hmm. today on on online so travis let's give our kind of reactions to who made the top three um maybe who we think might win or who we think might have got snubbed but yeah. but I, I we mentioned this before the like, recording travis we kind of know who's going to win these awards but we'll kind of give our reaction anyways and kind of say what we think of these top threes but go ahead and, i know you have the list in front of you go ahead and, and let us know who, who yeah, made, so a, we'll made the cut we'll start with um we'll start with rookie of the year i think this is actually the first award that gets announced i think it's november 16th or something like that or it, it's coming up in about a week or two but uh american league rookie of the years we have stephen kwan of the guardians Julio Rodriguez of the uh, Mariners, and then of course Adley Rauschman of the Baltimore Orioles. Pretty, pretty good three. I mean, we we definitely were talking about this one month ago when we made our predictions on who we think our top three should be yep. and who we think our winner should be. Um, Julio and Rauschman. That's that's basically the show right there for the American League. Stephen Kwan had an excellent year, but he will definitely, or at least. I swear he should get third place. If he does not get third place, if he oh, gets get second, um, that'd be pretty incredible. But I, I think it's it's definitely Julio's award to win. Um, Adley had an amazing season, amazing rookie year as a catcher, being kind of just that captain now for that Orioles team. 
Uh, but uh, th- those are the three guys. I have no problem with it, Alex. Any problems with it with, with you? No, I think I had a Quan as my third pick. I don't remember. We did that, um, I think, right before the postseason. But, yeah, I, yeah. I, I do think that, you know, like you said, it's between Julio and Adley. Um, I think I picked Adley. I think it will go to Julio mm-hmm. just the way it goes. I, I think that uh, it's pretty self-explanatory if Definitely. you look at, look at the numbers. Definitely. And then on the NL side, it is uh, Brennan Donovan of the Cardinals and then two Atlanta Braves players, Michael Harris the second, and then Spencer Strider. Um, I think you had Donovan Alex. So these are your three, of course. And yeah. I might have had O'Neill Cruz, mm-hmm. um, but – I still think the top two guys are going to be Harris and Strider. I yes. think Strider will win it. Strider had a very, very impressive season. I think when you look at his his entire season, um, it wasn't a full 162 games, or at least it wasn't a full 30-plus uh, starts. But if you almost expanded those starts into a full season, I think Strider's numbers were like, they could have been like top three in in in, in the world almost. Yes, I, it, the the strikeout numbers were off the charts in terms of his strikeout rate. I know that he uh, you know didn't have the innings pitched as the top strikeout guys in terms of cumulative strikeouts, but um, on a rate basis, he was completely elite. I also think mm-hmm. he should win. I'm not going to completely write off Harris. I think Harris might get some voter love just because of the great defense, of course, and yeah. also I think the batting average is something all of the vote getters would like to see out of a rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also had the power. Um, was yeah, did. was definitely uh, you know he was a component of his game. I I'm, I think personally, um, I don't want to you know bash a young guy, but I think um, his his like his swing decisions were not great last year. I think that you know he really just did a good job of putting the bat on the ball. But um, I would say you know kind of a lack of walks. Uh, he's not really my kind of guy that I think. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously he deserves like the extension and all this yeah. kind of stuff, yeah. but. Um, you know, I think that the voters are really gonna rate him well. I think yep. that they really like what they saw with him. I mean, um, a five a five fourteen slugging last year. So I, I, out of a out of a you know a leadoff speedster center fielder, which is I mean that, that that's that's impressive in its own right there. Absolutely, and the speed component is um, absolutely killer as well. So I would not be surprised to see him win the award. I'll be honest, but I I do think that we both agree for good reason that Strider. Um, just kind of blew everybody away. Did yep. not see him coming, and and he was electric this year. So yeah, yeah, that it makes looks, sense. And it looks like it was twenty games started for Strider, um, one hundred thirty one innings pitched, and over two hundred strikeouts. I mean, crazy. If you look at a guy that pitched ten more starts, we're 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 looking at a rookie season that is approaching three hundred Ks in a year. I mean, that's that that in itself is is absolutely remarkable. But we move on now to the manager of the years. And again, Alex, these awards were voted on before the postseason even starts. So there's no postseason bias at all, which is of course is beautiful because um I'm pretty sure Spencer Strider would not get rookie of the year because of that game three start that was uh I think what he what he go like two or three innings in, in that start and Philly just blew him up. Right. But, um now moving on to the manager of the years, and this is kind of the area where I had some uh, I had some problems with some of the selections, at least for the finalists. But AL manager of the year finalists, you have Terry Francona of the Guardians, you had Scott Service of the Mariners, and then you also to round it out, you have Brandon Hyde, which of course I had to look that up right now because again I I have not heard of this manager. Um, this is the first time, of course, I'm realizing that he is the Baltimore Orioles manager. But Baltimore in itself, Alex had a amazing season i mean what about talk about one of the most surprises of the year um 
it's it's good that he's a finalist. I I don't agree that he should be a finalist. I think for my finalist, I had Service and Francona, and then my last pick would be Dusty, just for winning 106 games and being just kind of that juggernaut of the American League. I think you had Kevin Cash because Kevin Cash basically is out here managing a minor league team and they can they just seem to make the playoffs every year still so you got to give credit where credit's due uh but of course Hyde having an impressive season with a team that really should have won 60 games they end up winning 83 games but um only only really big I think little tidbit is Hyde getting the finalist job not going to be upset about it Alex I think service or Francona is de- are definitely going to win the award I had Francona winning it on my end I think you had cash winning it on your end but um what are your thoughts on the American League manager yeah I wouldn't have went with the with Baltimore either with Hyde but you know um I can't knock the job he did they simply mm-hmm. won games against series they won series that no one thought they would win yes um in in my in my my confession, I think that uh, the Angels' season truly ended when they got swept. In, in, they got swept <laughs> yes, in a four-game yep. series in Baltimore. Throughout the whole losing streak, I knew we could bounce back, but I think we went from like six games back to like ten games back, yep. and I was like, "This season's over. Like this is this was brutal." Um, but Baltimore really got hot at the you know middle of the season, and they kind of rode it all the way until the very end. They really couldn't keep up in that wild card race, but they were in the thick of it, entering you know the last month of the season. So um, to get them that far, I do understand why yes. voters are giving him the credit that he's getting. Um, I liked Cash a lot for the pick. You call them minor league players, you know. I little little uh, uh, little trolling, <laughs> little <laughs> just a little uh, you know, a, a little a little bit of a roast there, and that that's okay. Um, I I think that the amount of injuries the Rays had to endure, you know, missing Glass now the whole year, McClanahan misses time. I don't know if Baz ever started. I had him in fantasy. He had like two. He was on my injured list the <laughs> yeah. entire season. It was just brutal. Glass now got one or two starts. Yeah. But like the fact that all that stuff happened, Franco missed time. Kiermaier missed like the whole year. Um, the catchers and Nino missed like almost the whole year. Like these guys were just out the whole time. All their best players from last season hurt. Doesn't matter. Right. They still yeah. were a threat down the stretch. Um, of course, did not make noise in the postseason. Um, but, you know, if they had gotten hot at the right time, they could have been the Phillies team. You know, who knows? That's the way it goes in the playoffs. But they, the fact that they got there, you know, were that, you know, I just look at their roster and I look at the Angels roster, other teams that didn't make the playoffs, like even even Baltimore. Yes. Um, you know, you can look at any team, uh, even the Rangers. You know, you look at any team in the American League, you'll probably see more names you'll recognize, more guys like, oh, that guy's good. I know him. You'll see more guys like that that stand off the page. Um, meanwhile, you look at the Rays and you're just like, oh, this team, you know, made the playoffs over these other teams. Pretty impressive in my yeah. mind. But, um, you know, not too much else to say. I also think that Francona will probably win it. I think he probably deserves it. Um, it's going to be an interesting sort of uh, decision there with service as well. I know service um, is going to get tons of credit for the way that the uh, Mariners won games down the stretch to secure their spot in the mm-hmm. playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think I think that Francona, the getting the Guardians to the playoffs is probably just a bit more um, surprising. Even yes. though the Mariners had the crazy streak that they broke, the streak narrative might help service. But I think that Guardians team was just not picked by anyone to make mm-hmm. the playoffs, and mm-hmm. they did it. So yeah. that's my thought. Yeah, and uh, and I think with the Hyde pick, you know, I, I I definitely don't think he's winning it. I don't know if there's ever been a manager who didn't make the playoffs who won Manager of the Year. That might be a first this year. Who knows? But uh, I think it's just definitely a good, 
um, you know, finalist selection that baseball writers are basically just saying you took this team from you took this team from 60 wins to above 500. You probably had one of the craziest turnarounds um, and, you know, surprises of MLB MLB history almost from what we expected you to do and what you actually uh, resulted in. But Hyde will, of course, be a finalist in that. I don't anticipate him winning. Alex, now we go to the NL manager of the year side, and this is where actually I get really pissed off. Um, Talk to me about it. We have Dave Roberts, who, of course, I am happy he's a finalist. When you win 110-plus games, you have to be a finalist, right? Then you get Buck Showalter, 101-win Mets. Great season by the Mets, of course. 101 wins. That's a terrific season. Then you have Brian Snicker, 101 wins, I believe, also. Same record. Um, I think they just had the head-to-head wins over the Mets. That's why they got the division spot. But you have these two managers. But you're missing the other manager that took over a 22-29 and 29 Phillies team and took them on a 65-46 and 46 record to finish out the season to get them the sixth six seed. I know we don't look at the postseason at all when you make this vote because I know the vote's done before the postseason starts. But, I mean... I, I just I don't know if I don't understand how Rob Thompson is not involved in the finalists. And honestly, I, I was going to consider him to possibly win the whole thing because talk about taking this ship that was just sinking and the bullpen was a disaster. Harper wasn't really hitting the the, the offense was, you know, the, 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 the team was not the, was- the, the, the team just was not clicking. And you knew Girardi was just not going to solve it by season's end. Dombrowski and Sam Fold get rid of him, you know, sometime in May. Rob Thompson starts with the team. It was actually right when the Angels came into town. They sweep the Angels, and then they just go on this wrecking tear for the rest of the season and clinch the sixth seed. I um, I, I just, I guess I'll, what I'll say is the Mets and the Braves, it's impressive to win 101 games, but I think that when you look at just the the – you have to look at the record on, on a, on a different scale. And I think that winning the 87 games after the start that they were on Rob Thompson has to give credit to being a finalist. I mean, they gave it to Hyde of the Orioles. So why not give it to Rob Thompson who took this team, you know, mid may everyone was looking at as, okay, they're probably just going to be, you know, I think the Marlins might finish with a better record, but he took them to the playoffs. And, you know, of course went all the way to game six, that of course isn't being measured, but um, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I would not have snicker on my list. And I probably wouldn't have Buck Showalter on my list either. Um, I think I had uh, Marmol from the Cardinals. And I think I had um, – I th- definitely have Rob Thompson on my list too. But uh, it, it's just an interesting one. I t- t- take me through what your thoughts are on, on of course, uh, Showalter and Snicker. And then, of course, Rob Thompson kind of getting snubbed a little bit. And also, I, I don't know if you had uh, Melvin on your list as well from the, uh, from the Padres, if, if you had thought he deserved any – recognition on there as well yeah i think that a lot of i usually tend to go with the managers that i feel like really made maybe some sort of difference uh at least in my opinion it's obviously hard to know what really was the difference maker for mm-hmm. a team if it was the talent if it was the players if it was the coaching if it was the front office a lot of things goes the owner it. and the mets and if, the mets if, if the owner, if the owner yeah. just wants to buy more players that's going to help of course but yep. in my mind travis uh show walter I'm very okay with it, mainly because if I told you before the season 101 wins, you'd probably be like, "Wow!" And they, it's not even like they had they had you know minimal help from Degrom. Yep. I think he was hurt for like at least half the year. Scherzer also missed a good amount of time. Right when Degrom like came back, Scherzer went out. It was just kind of like this whole thing. Uh, 
I think Lindor had an underrated season. Um, he's going to be top 10 MVP kind of guy, but still was not like the MVP by any means. Uh, Alonzo had a great year, mm-hmm. not by no means like the MVP. Um, you know, I think that no one really stood out uh, off the pages like, wow, on the offense, you know, just kind of consistent, a good amount of depth, but nothing, you know, crazy. And they won 101 games. I think that's pretty impressive. I think the Braves... Um, they were just down by eight games and had to claw their way back again. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy that, you know, they got what they got from their rookies. I think that's really the difference maker between them last year and this year. Acuna did not really look like Acuna of old. And, you know, Olsen did a solid job trying to replace Freeman. But I think Freeman had the better year. It's it, it just kind of very interesting how they ended up being uh, winning was it like 13 more games or something like that than last year mm-hmm. when they won the World Series and somehow they, you know, relied way more on rookies and, you know, lost some pieces and they just got more out of Riley. They got more out of uh, Swanson and, you know, I think just the rookies really kind of uh, had a big impact. But uh, my thought overall, Travis, is that, you know, I'm not going to knock the managers that did get the nod, but I do think that I also, like you said, I would not have voted for Snicker. I think the team's talent is what really got them there. They are such a deep in, uh, you know, uh, the pitching, the hitting, the relief. Um, it all kind of mixes into a team that, you know, deserves to win 101 games. And I think that, you know, the Mets, uh, I'm a, I think a 101, I think if I told you before the season, Mets would win 101, you'd be like, oh, wow, like that's a good year for them. So I, I'm okay with the Showalter pick. Um, Melvin, in my mind, deserves tons of credit because if I told you, they will make the playoffs. They will end their drought of making the playoffs in a full season. Mm-hmm. They will never see Tatis this year. <laughs> yeah, that that is the biggest kicker for me. That I think it almost should help Bob Melvin's uh, Coach of the Year case. It should almost help Machado's MVP case because you're the guy that you, we were all saying like when Tatis comes back, this team will really click. He never comes back, but they still make the playoffs. Um, they still make, of course, a wild card, end up making it to the championship series. Not that that really matters to these awards, but definitely impressive what they're able to get done without Tatis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end of the day, I completely agree. Rob Thompson was in my uh, three finalists. I forget exactly who my three were, but definitely Dave Roberts has to be there for the incredible regular season accomplishment. Um, I know Dodger fans probably want him gone, even though he's going to be sticking around (laughs) for some time. Um, especially with that, I mean, the roster wasn't, it wasn't as all like as impressive as it, as it was in 2020, as it was in 2019, 2018, you know, right. it's, it's kind of funny that Roberts had a team that just seemed like it was beatable every night. Yeah. But, Bellinger, uh, didn't really have a bounce back year. Gallo had his, you know, yeah. Gallo things going Muncy on. He was struggling. Muncy had his Turner's issues old. early yeah. on. So like they had their, their usual stuff. And, and, the, and the biggest thing for me is the pitching. <laughs> if I told you Bueller's going to miss pretty much the whole season may is going to come back really late from his injury. You'll be heavily relying on Andrew Heaney on Tyler Anderson, um, you know, Kershaw and you know, he just, it feels like there's always Kershaw always has this level of greatness that's mixed with this level of, um, just concerned for, is there an injury here? Um, you know, is he going to be able to last us till the playoffs? When will he have to go on the injured list? Um, so like the fact that you're relying on these kind of guys, uh, it, it, that's for me, what really sets, uh, Roberts's case apart. I think I picked Roberts to win the award yep. in, in my book, but Same here, yeah. Rob, yep. uh, Rob Thompson, I do think deserves to be top three for sure. Just for what the Phillies accomplished, uh, during his time as coach. 
with that being said, I really don't know who's going to win this award. I feel like they will give it to Roberts, but I feel like the media also just, um, they're just kind of like against the, I don't know, against the analytics and against like what the Dodgers, since the Dodgers keep like choking in the playoffs, yeah. they might like say, even though they're not supposed to factor that in, of course, but I think that, you know, uh, the lack of, of success. Well, every in, team in choked, series. I will say, at least in, in, in uh, those three. So <laughs> that, that, that's a good point. All those teams were out before, you know, the championship series. So, um, that could help the that could yeah. help Dave Roberts' case, but do you think Dave Roberts will win it? I think Dave Roberts will win it. I think that when you have when you compare, I mean, I know you look at Buck and you look at Snicker, they both win 101 games. I think Roberts won what 11 or 10 more games more than those guys. Um, of course, with Showalter, you could say, oh, it's his first year and he goes in and wins 101 games. You know, how could you do that with this Mets team that you know has not been successful from in a while? But I mean, again, you got to give a lot of credit to Steve Cohen. He goes out there and gets Scherzer. He goes out there and gets Escobar, gets um, gets Starling Marte, gets Mark Canna. He gets a bunch of role guys, and uh, they're able to win a lot of games. So I, 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 of course, give a lot of credit to Cohen. I think that a lot of different managers probably could do the same job as Buck Showalter. I don't think Showalter could step in and do the job that Rob Thompson did, but uh, I guess we'll never really kind of know that situation unless Buck Showalter's uh, dealt that situation next year. But, um, and then of course, Snicker, I mean, the Braves are just a well-oiled machine. So I, I, again, I, I, he had a fantastic year. He definitely had an improvement from last year's what 88 win team to now 101 wins. I don't know the last time the Braves won over a hundred games, but, um, you know, Snicker had a good year. I just think that there, uh, were some better choices than Showalter and Snicker, but you know, I, I still think, I think Roberts will win the award. Um, I don't. I won't say dramatically or, or, or you know, by a lot. I just think that he'll win the award based on just you want a record. You want an NL record right. that has not been broken in how long? So you kind of got to give it to the guy Roberts. But moving on to the last two awards, Alex, we have Cy Youngs and MVPs. We'll go with the American League Cy Youngs first. Um, I know. I think we had these two guys, but we definitely did not have the third. I'm pretty sure. But they have Dylan Cease. Um, what what is for? That's right. Alex Manoa. I don't know why I thought it's a Jeff. Alex, <laughs> Alex, Alex Manoa. Manoa. Alec, and, yeah. uh, and, and Justin Verlander. Um, I, I know. Wait, Jeff? <laughs> I, I, yeah, brain fart. <laughs> Backwards, never mind. Uh, let's go. Uh, I think Justin Verlander will probably win this award. Uh, I think it's almost a lock. It, it, it's, it's, he's. I think it actually just, it is it, a lock. It is a, it is a, it is a lock. Yeah. The one, the one seven four or the one seven five era which i think is the it's I, I don't know if it's i don't know if pedro had a lower i think pedro had a lower era in 99 or something like that i have to double check okay uh, i think i think he did it, but it, it was so close to passing pedro that they were saying you know verlander might have just had the best era season from an al uh pitcher since i think yet i don't know when you have to go back and look but probably a guy from the 30s or 40s i don't know but um it, it was close to pedro's season era plus of course was not close but um not at all not <laughs> not at all but talking but, about steroid era versus but, dead ball but 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 verlander um i i think that there's just really no way you can't give it to him cease had a great year with the strikeouts but so did verlander um manoa I mean, I, right now, all I think of Manoa, I just think of that game one start against the Mariners, and I think that he gave Yikes. up like four runs. So, I mean, that, of course, isn't factored in. But um, I, I guess we can get mad at kind of the three finalists, but we just both know that 
if the right guy wins, or at least the guy that we think is going to win, it really doesn't matter. Like, who cares if you finish second? If you're not first, you're last. Uh, that's the kind of mentality probably right now at this. But your thoughts on the three? I know we, I know we definitely had different threes. But um, what, what are your thoughts on Cease Minow and Verlander? Yeah, I definitely think they left someone off. I think you know who I'm going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's absolutely no reason Shohei Otani should not be on the finals three. Uh, I, I completely understand that the cases for the other guys. Uh, I picked. I believe I picked him to win the Cy Young uh, when we before we entered the postseason. Um, I of course stand by that. I think he's you know top two in American League, only behind McClanahan. In I think it's um, no, he's behind. I think he's number one in strikeouts minus walk percent. He's I think behind only uh, McClanahan and like expected FIP. Like there's just a lot of stats that I care about yeah. that Otani's just like top of the league in. Verlander's not really on top of any of those leaderboards. Um, he's of course on top of ERA, but that has so much to do with your team's defense, kind of some luck with the batted balls, um, where the ball tends to land. Um, Verlander had an incredible year. He's an incredible pitcher, historic. He's going to win the award. I just don't think that the 175 ERA accurately represents how good he was this year. I think a lot of things kind of went his way. And, you know, it's not really, I'll say this, it's not really fair to him that I'm dinging him because he got some good defense behind mm-hmm. him. You know, it, it's it's not his fault that his defense did better than Otani's or that there was better luck with, you know, balls going either in the gap or to the outfielder. You know, that's kind of stuff that's out of the pitcher's control. Uh, but I'm just I just choose to personally judge it off. I care about which pitchers um, I, th- I think pitched the best versus which pitchers got the best results, if that makes any sense. Um, but I think Otani deserves the award for sure, in my opinion definitely at the very least a top three i think there's no argument for manoa really to be over otani personally uh i think manoa is a great young up-and-coming pitcher uh i think he's also a good kid like his personality in the all-star game <laughs> Charles, in, yeah. in, in the all-star game one of my big kid <laughs> well, one of my biggest takeaways from the all-star game is you know when they had him mic'd up on the mound uh he pushed a great inning when that happened and i was just like you know this guy is you know could be someone not i wouldn't say face of the league but he's like he's gonna be you know a face of that team maybe going forwards i think he's you know uh a a great young player in their in their on their team but for the blue jays but i think alec manoa just did not have a season that really compares to otani's even just looking at otani from the mound obviously i'm not factoring in his hitting at all here um i think otani's you know strikeouts and the limiting the walks was just um sort of one of one this season i think any other pitcher in the american league was on his level in terms of the strikeouts and the walks um of course also uh you know getting the ground balls he needed and and everything else Uh, he was the last two starts as well (laughs) of course the last two starts were just some cherries on top the second to last start being a perfect game into i think it was the eight and two-thirds innings it, it was it was it was in the eighth inning that's all i remember eight yeah. and the third maybe something like that but it was a special performance um and then it was like a no-hitter going into like the fifth inning against the in oakland yeah yeah uh against the ace but yeah i think that overall travis O'Tryon not being here for me is just a huge red flag that goes off um i don't i i think people have this otani fatigue right he gets so much media coverage that I feel like people almost want to like go the other way on him sometimes and say, Oh, he's overhyped or, Oh, it's not impressive or, you know, whatever it might be. And I think that's a huge mistake. One thing that I kind of, I assume I said it on the podcast, I'm not hundred percent. I don't understand how he doesn't win 
AL pitcher gold glove or even get nominated yeah. or even yeah. get nominated. The last two years, he's not even been nominated. Travis, he makes like sidearm throws. He'll like be throwing to first on like a bunt, like from his back heel. His bunt it, coverage, yeah. It, it's a strike, you know, every time. He constantly catches like liners up the middle. For some reason, he always has these funny moments of like broken bats flying at him and he like makes a funny face, you know, whatever it might be. He's just so good out there with the glove. I mean, he played outfield in Japan when uh when instead of being a dh on his off days from pitching um so you know he's had that glove experience more so than more so than a lot of pitchers in the bigs but um he makes good plays out there i'm really surprised it feels like since there's this whole mvp buzz people don't want to give him consideration for these other awards as much um i understand that verlander's gonna win it just because the era is what means the most but um i think that there's a big problem in my mind uh, of, of evaluating pitchers and focusing on ERA. I feel like Cy Young is becoming the ERA award almost. Mm-hmm. It's really just coming down to ERA and then, oh, Wins. <laughs> and then, and then, oh, like what about innings? Like innings pitched obviously matters a ton, but it shouldn't just be the innings pitch and ERA award, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's so much more that goes into it. Um, if you learn a little bit more about some more important stats um, in my mind, I could definitely help. Um, Otani strikeouts, like I said, um, were just remarkable this year. But yep. I, I, I'll, I'll end this. I'll end this short. I'm not going to go on for another. Ten, I could go for 10, 20 minutes. But I think, I, I think you fans can watch or listen to episode like 76 or something like that. We it's about a four hour episode, but it's some good information. There's some good stuff in there about what I think about Otani's pitching this year. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go ahead and end it there. But um, I'll just go ahead and say Verlander will win. I disagree with the top three <laughs> that they put forward. I really would love to see Otani get second or third. He's gonna be, I assume, fourth, but they could even put him below. I, I think I, I honestly think he won't be top five. I, I who's gonna be four and five? I, I don't know, but I just don't think they have, will have him top five. I think they'll have. Um, I mean, I have to go back and look at some of the leaderboards. What's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong with his media? What's his bias? I, 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 I just seem. I just think there's gonna be a disappointment there where he's, the people are gonna think that he is number six or seven of the of the Cy Young vote getters. But I, I really wonder. I, I feel like I'm, try, I'm trying to think of guys right now that could have a better or you know do you remember who your top three was when we did ours i know you had cease and i know you had a verlander i had cease verlander think. i was it manoa i think i was debating manoa but i don't think i had manoa i'm i'm trying to just again i'm this was a while ago i got too okay. much playoff baseball in my mind i can't really think of guys that were playing a month ago but anyways i i just think that there could be a snub there where he might not even get top five in cy young and that would just of course be again another tragic moment right there from the voting but Alex, we'll move on to the NL Cy Young um, awards, and I, again, I, I I see two guys that we did not, I think, ever talk about, but they're on the finalists right now. Um, one guy, of course, rightfully so, is on the finalist list. Uh, we have Sandy Alcantara, we have Max Freed from the Braves, and we have Julio Urias of the Dodgers. Um, I'll just start and say I I think I said it. Sandy is my vote getter. I think he will win it. Uh, I think he will win it. He he will win the award. Uh, I think it was what a lot just durability innings pitched. I think he had a ton of strikeouts too. Not the strikeout percentage or the strikeouts per nine as some of the other guys, right? Um, like Rodon, that is not on this list. That I had Rodon on my top three. It was the volume for Alcantara. It, it, it was the volume. volume. Um, Urias, of course, leads the NL in ERA and ERA plus. I think he was second in wins. So that's basically why you're going to put him in the top three or in the, in the finalists for the NL because he leads an ERA. I think that, um, 
I think a lot of fans would, of course, be mad if if Urias was not on it, and they would say, "Well, he leads in in ERA. How could you, you know, how could you not have that?" But right. uh, I, I see it. I also, of course, wouldn't put him there, but I see why people would put that. Max Fried again. Um, I think he actually has pretty good pitching war numbers, if I'm not mistaken. I, I'm trying to think about what Max Fried is really like. He, there were he, some numbers I liked with the Fried he, for sure. He he definitely doesn't have the leaderboard on a, on a lot of the stats, but he definitely just is a solid all-around pitcher that can do a lot of different things that most guys can't. I mean, he's going to he, ERA below a 2.5. Um, he had 185 innings pitched, only 170 strikeouts. So the strikeouts uh, per nine are not great. Uh, FIP is very good, a 2.70 FIP. So um, advanced stats, very good as well. But it, he's just a well-rounded pitcher um, that I think that that's why they really included him. I, I really am curious to see who gets second and third. I think we both know... Alcantara is going to win it. I just am really looking to see if they're going to put Freed or Urias. They're going to favor the ERA or if they're going to favor Freed's kind of ultra durability when you look at all of his stat lines, um, what they're going to look at that. But give me your thoughts on that, Cy Young. I know, of course, we, we're we missing Nola. We're missing Rodon. We're missing a bunch of other guys that we probably have talked about that are not on this list right now. Yeah, Alcantara is going to win it. I think he, in many ways, does deserve it. He would not be the guy I pick personally. Um, I think I did pick Nola. Uh, Rodon was also in my top three. I like those guys a lot more with what they brought f- uh, forward strikeouts. The best way to get a guy out, Travis, is a strikeout, of course. Um, I think that Sandy just kind of sh- didn't struggle in that regard, but yep. he just didn't have the strikeout numbers that a lot of other guys did in terms of on a rate basis. Um, but you know, the volume that Alcantara brought forward is 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 massively valuable to his team. Um, you made a great point. I forget how long ago it was, but there's something to be said about uh, you, you can you can forgive a worse ERA or just worse rate-based stats if you're making the guy go into the seventh, eighth inning, right? The guy doesn't have a bullpen that you can trust or maybe the bullpen's not rested. If you have an ace and has a bit worse on the rate-based stats, but he's giving you more volume, it should be forgiven, right? Mm-hmm. It, there should be some more leeway if you're... You know, if, if, if the guy blows the game in the eighth. Um, Which I think that's what Wheeler and Nola's problems have been in the last, what, two years? Right. And yeah. I think that, you know, someone like, I think a good comparison was last year, Wheeler versus Burns. A big thing in that debate is that Wheeler had way more innings pitched, but a worse ERA, worse yeah. FIP, worse most yeah. of the stats. War was the best, though, in baseball, yeah. And, and the reason for the case for Wheeler is if you pulled him after the fifth, or sixth inning, like Burns it every time because Burns has the Milwaukee Brewers bullpen. <laughs> yep, um, Devin Williams and Hader. If, if that was the case, then you'd be in a situation where Wheeler's ERA would be much lower, but the innings pitch would be lower as well. You know, if, if essentially if a starter blows a game in the eighth, some of that has to go on the coach or the lack of bullpen. And, it and can't, the GM probably too. <laughs> yeah, it can't just be all on the pitcher's shoulders. So um, that's where Alcantara's volume comes into play. And I say, you know... Maybe I shouldn't be so hard on the lack of strikeouts or, you know, some of the other shortcomings that I might see. Uh, obviously, his season has, you know, impressed everybody that, that you know, saw him pitch this year. I was a little critical of it um, from the start just because the numbers that I like to look at might not have favored him as much. But I still think that um, it's a really uh, deserving uh, selection that for him to win this award, we assume, uh, just because of... Uh, what he brought in the volume category, but I still would have liked to see Nola or Rodon. 
um, get some love from the voters here. Um, they weren't the mainstream kind of picks, but I do think that um, what they brought forward in terms of how efficient they were on the mound, um, and especially like, you know, sometimes there's some stats that are good at, at finding out, you know, your defense might have not been very good, you know, and you still got it done despite that. So I, I like to look at those numbers. But um, yeah, I think Alcantara is going to win it. Um, and I got no problem with it. I'll put it that way. And I really wonder last time, um, I'll have to do some digging, but uh, a Cy Young vote getter or a Cy Young winner with, on a team that has less than 70 wins. Uh, you know, Miami finished with 69 wins and 93 losses. So that's funny. It's, it's funny. You know, if, if that was the MVP right there, that would not fly. <laughs> They would say they do not have the winning uh, mindset, so therefore they cannot win, which, you know, we've, we've rambled about for years now, it feels like. But that rounds up Cy Young. Now we move to MVP. Alex, I mean, they're they're pretty easy predictors on, on what the MVPs are going to look like for the finalists. I mean, we I think we basically had the same exact three on both sides. So there's no problem there. I think it just comes down to who's going to win. We had a great argument with MVP. Um Alvarez, easily number three. <laughs> he is by far probably one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball, but he is a DH primarily and a, uh, you know, a, a, I know he's actually not a terrible left fielder. He does play a very average left field. He's not going to make some spectacular plays. His arm is very good out there. Yeah, it, but, um, but you know, his, his hitting is where he basically puts it all together. But MVP is Judge and Otani going at it for that. That will be a very very fun uh you know time when that decision is made and we can hear who wins that one um it, it'll spark so many arguments and i think people will be um, outraged or people will, of course be you know happy with what the selections what were but uh what percentage do you give for a judge winning that award i i honestly i mean it's sad to say alex but i think 90 percent. yeah i would I, agree I, I think i think he will having the historic season and having the the war so high. I think advanced stats people are very happy. I think traditional stats people are very happy. Yes. I think that they're just looking at Otani and saying, I mean, you gave us a, a second, uh, an Otani 2021 2.0 practically, but I got to give it to judge this year, which again, it, it's, it's sad in its own self, but um, it would be a lot more fun yeah. uh, debate if Otani did not do what he did in twenty twenty one. I mean, Alex, if this I, was the I, first I, I, year, if if it was the first year, this would just be a this would be a this would we have to dedicate a whole like to our podcast. This would be just atrocious. To, yeah, this would be yeah. an atrocious uh, vote right here to get to give. I mean, I guess you could say, oh well, sixty two home runs has been done many times, but. Otani hasn't been done ever. So well, I I even say that about you know Otani is the only guy who's done what he did this year. Um, yeah. and yeah, 62 has been done before. Yeah. Sorry, Maris Jr. But <laughs> you know, steroids happened yep. <laughs> part of baseball history. But, um, I think we're on the same page. Yeah. Judge is yeah. most likely going to win it. Um, we'll talk about it more once it gets announced so we can know for sure. Definitely. But, Definitely. um, yeah, we agree with the top two for sure. Alvarez, you know, I'm totally fine with that as yeah. well. I think we're talking either, it, you know, Jose Ramirez or even Mike Trout could probably possibly yes. sneak into that top three, but Alvarez, the way he played all season, wasn't hurt, really didn't have too many slumps, had some crazy moments, and they get a three-home run game. He just had some, like, power weeks that were unbelievable where he was hitting six to seven home runs out in a matter of, you know, a week span. But Alvarez is definitely going to be the three guy for that MVP. We move to the NL side, the last um, the last, and you know, the last votes for the awards we have, of course, Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt of the Cardinals, and then, of course, Manny Machado of the Padres, um, we both talked about it, Alex. We both think Goldschmidt will probably win this award. 
Um, I don't give him, of course, that big of a favorite as I would judge, but I think Goldschmidt will win it. It'll be a really interesting toss-up on Arenado Machado. I really wonder if the voters, um, I guess I can't really say the voters looking at postseason because it's already been determined before postseason, but I really wonder if the voters don't want to give uh, Cardinals one and two. Maybe, maybe they spread it out and they say Arenado three, Machado two, and Goldschmidt, you get number one. I I, I don't know. I wonder, but um, Arenado was the NL leader in baseball reference war. Arenado and Machado's hitting stats were completely neck and neck. So they it'll feel be like fun to see exactly where the voters look in that aspect. It, yeah, it really feels like they're almost identical on the season. They are um, yeah. by looking at a majority of the stats that you know, the voters are going to care about, and for that reason. I think it's very likely it's going to be Goldschmidt, Arenado, Machado, just okay. because everyone likes Goldschmidt. Everyone likes Arenado a little bit. I was going to say right like now, Machado. I don't think Machado gets a lot of love right now. Yeah, yeah. It, it just it's just the way it is. I, I yeah. don't fully understand it. I get that there was an attitude at certain points of his career, but I think it's the way he he takes himself, or you know, he people perceive him, or you know, just the just the way he maybe the flashiness or just kind of the mouthing off. I know I know right. some average fans are probably just thinking like, ooh, Machado, I don't like him. He's just Yeah, maybe they think there's an ego there or something. There is, but yeah. but I think that, you know, he's obviously feels like the leader of the clubhouse of a team that, you know, yeah. who was the second best player before Soto got there? It's like I don't even know. And, you know, maybe yeah, it's one of the pitchers or, yeah. or it's Cronworth, you know, it's like it really felt like he was the leader of a ship, at least in my mind. That's how yeah. I'm kind of digesting it. But um, he was like the captain of a ship. And, and you know, it, it felt like the gap between him and the next player was pretty huge. And they were a winning ball club uh, for the whole season. Yeah. So I give him tons of props in that regard. I think that if if, if you think he's a – some people see like the mouthing off and think, oh, that's ego. That's toxic. But obviously, yeah, yeah. obviously he's good in the clubhouse. Otherwise, you know, there'd be more problems there than there, there are. I think the real toxic thing, unfortunately, might be Tatis, and we can talk about that more. And you had a good argument on this when we were talking about a month ago with basically Machado just carrying this team from day one. I mean, Soto didn't even play like Soto until October, really. I mean, right. we saw one Soto's numbers just completely take a dip. Bell, too. I mean, he, yeah, had, he was yeah. rough until the playoffs. Bell, and then, of course, they acquired Drury. Drury had some some good plate appearances throughout the uh, the second half, but it just was Machado the whole entire year. I think the first month, the first two months, Machado was just the easy, easy pick. And then, of course, Goldschmidt kind of caught fire before the All-Star break and, transit and kept on pushing for that for the whole season. But um, And those- Gold- Goldschmidt's hitting, um, I'm not going to have a problem with it. Yeah. I understand how good the hitting was. I just think that— um, First base, yeah. Yeah, there's a bit of a tax there when you're playing first, the lack of defense— um, he's had some gold glove years in the past. I think the defensive metrics didn't like his defense this season either, which doesn't help that much. But um, I just think Machado and Arenado, they're so neck and neck. Yep. Arenado will probably edge him out just because that's the way the media uh, sees that comparison between those two guys. Um, it, 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 is, it is pretty fun, I'll say, to kind of compare those two. Um, and it feels like they're so similar yet so different in different ways yes. and, and they're you know playing in the same era so I'm excited to see how you know that shapes up I'm excited to have Travis this coming off season probably like in February or March we'll have another debate about who's the best third baseman who's the best at every position but um, you know Arenado Machado I'm sure will be another fun debate but uh, we'll save it off for now yeah no and of course no Mookie Betts I know um, he was a guy that we were talking about that could possibly sneak in and you know possibly replace a guy like Machado. If there's one guy I honestly think would get replaced on this MVP, um, I think it I think it would probably be Machado for bets. Maybe just because people like the bets. 
mentality and the Betts attitude. And, and, you know, he plays like a, you know, Roberto Clemente style of baseball where the base running, the defense, the hitting is all spectacular, but um, no Dodgers on this. I'm kind of looking at the, at the list. It's funny. There's a, there's a brave on every single uh, category, Michael Harris and Strider and then Snicker and then Freed. And then of course there's no brave in the MVP, but it would have been funny if the Braves had an opportunity to win all four awards. But if there's one guy on the Braves that would have thought would have gotten some love, it would have been Austin Riley. But I, of course, he didn't have the level of, of impact as these three guys did. Right. Um, Agreed. And, and so, you know, we'll we'll see exactly what's going to happen um, in the next week or two weeks, whenever this award comes out. Um, we'll probably have an episode prior to that and, you know, give our final thoughts on it and, and you know, go course cover the results and, and how we see you know that playing out with, with judge winning mvp i mean that's going to be one of his biggest leverage points with the with the general managers in the offseason and seeing you know how he can get paid uh the money he wants to get paid with the mvp season he just had um but it's fun to see that manager or gms now of course are looking at you know i i don't they care what you did last year but i want to see what you can do in the future for me i don't want to pay you off the seasons you've had before um, Angel fans, we 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 tend to do that a lot. Sometimes we're hoping for a change of mentality in the near future here, but we um, do, we do. And Alex, last thing to wrap up the podcast. I know we covered the awards. Um, uh, you know, took some time to cover them, but uh, if you wanted to talk a little bit about, I know today those those Otani trades have been coming down the the uh, oh yeah the pipeline. They've been they've been coming through teams. I think and the thankfully, athletic. Thankfully, they have been silenced. That's true. That's true. That the, the news Ooh. came out today. Um, Perry Manassian, the Angels general manager, said in a quote saying, I will not be trading Shohei Otani. The Angels will not be trading Shohei Otani this offseason. So basically, all those uh, all those trade speculations, all those trade ideas, which are fun to see. It's it's fun to see exactly what teams, you know, maybe it's not the truth. You know, a lot of the time it's just a, a fairy tale land. I mean, I can't tell you how much, how many dumb Twitter fans of baseball will literally be posting, you know, Mets get Otani and the Mets will give up and it's like three prospects and they're they're just nobodies and I'm just it's, thinking it's, to myself it's the classic joke Travis it, <laughs> Yankees will give us uh, yes. Frazier and Andujar who, who are not on the team anymore <laughs> exactly but um that has been silenced but it is actually fun to see some of these trade ideas um some look some look decent some of course just look absolutely awful um it, it just depends on what you want to go towards do you want to go towards more of a let's get impact players right now or do we want to get just a ton of prospects and hope that in the next couple of years um three of these guys become superstars and that we can kind of ride with this with also uh you know a, i would say still a a a latter half prime of Mike Trout, but um, we'll see, of course, how Mike Trout, of course, transitions into his, you know, what is it, 31, 31 32 now. Still yeah. impactful, but um, I still think he has an MVP still left in him. I think he could definitely get that, uh, but we'll see, of course, what happens with, with all that. But the trades are officially done. Um, Shohei, I guess the next time he could be traded would be sometime in the middle of the season, which... I again would be very disappointing, but it, it all comes down to how their team's playing, right? It does. It doesn't. And it of course comes down to um slight little bit of Angels talk comes down to what are we gonna do this offseason to prove to Shohei we wanna win and also just prove, of course, to the entire team that we're still out here being competitive. The team is still up for sale. That'll be some big news coming up that we can talk about as Angel fans and then of course talk about hot stove season who we need to target to i think make an impact for the 2023 season where our weak points were last year some slight angels news to the listeners uh we we made some changes at the hitting coach 
uh, level or at the, at the at the hitting coach position for the Angels, Marcus. I don't know if it's Thames or Thames. I don't know how he says it either, but <laughs> maybe he's British and says Thames. I'm not sure. But he is now going to be the Angels' new hitting coach next season. Um, it, it's I think also a bunch of other coaches are going to be coming in. Um, yeah, there was a talk new, to me about the drive line thing, Alex. Ye, I know you're you're on top of that, right? There, so the, it was like you said, a new hitting coach, a new assistant hitting coach. I think they both were with the Yankees in 2021 and then got let go. Um, and and and. I think the Yankees were a great hitting team um, that season and the few years prior. So there's probably some good things to, uh, you know, come out of that. And then they did get a new pitching coach. Um, I'm pulling up his name right now, Bill Hezel. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but he was with Driveline. Um, he was the, I think, director of pitching at Driveline. Um, and what do they do again? So Driveline is, uh, you know, they're they're not affiliated with any baseball team specifically, but different uh, players will come to them in the offseason, work on certain things. They know, I think, in my opinion, so much more about how to get the most out of a pitcher, how to work on uh, the weak points in their game, uh, you know, maximizing pitches based on, you know, really advanced things that I can't, you know, even pretend to fully understand. Spin rate um, stuff. <laughs> spin rate stuff. There's things about spin efficiency because you want not only to spin fast, but to spin, you know, tight and on the correct seams and all this kind of stuff to maximize the break, uh, both vertically and horizontally. So much going on that um, I think uh, doesn't get enough, you know, it's not something that it was talked about in the mainstream at all. It's just kind of stuff that goes on behind the scenes by I think the smartest teams um, I think teams like the Giants, teams like the Rays, teams like the Dodgers, teams like the Indians get the most out of their pitching kind of year after year. And it makes me really say, oh, like they kind of know what they're doing in a way that other teams might not. And I think that Driveline is someone with a track record uh, as an organization that turns team that turns pitchers around. Um, I don't know the long list of players that have gone there and had success. But I do know that Otani uh, angels beat reporter said Otani and Sandoval were there last off season. They were our two best pitchers this season. So that's a good place to start. Two sub three year race. Yep. And then I know that Alex Cobb the year before he came to the angels, went to drive line and he saw like a couple, oh, I think, I think also before he went to the Giants, but anyways, he saw mm -hmm. like he saw like two miles an hour increase on his sinker or something like yeah. that. So they just know how to get stuff out of players. Um, so getting the assistant, sorry, getting the director of pitching from Driveline to be the new Angels assistant pitching coach for me, love it. Um, you know, can't can't say much more than that because I don't know the details of of the job and how that ties into you know Matt Wise still being the pitching coach. Not exactly sure. Um, how much the driveline system will get implemented with the angels, but I'm sure they hired him for a reason. I've always kind of said that I think Perry Manassian kind of knows what he's doing as a GM in terms of bringing in talent from other teams. He always targets like guys from the Cardinals. He's brought in guys from the Braves, guys from the Dodgers to like be guys from the Brewers, um, different teams he has relationships with, but also just kind of other smart teams trying to draw talent out of those organizations into the angels. So I do like what Perry has done with these kind of hires. Um, don't know much about, uh, Thames beyond, uh, the fact that, you know, he was with the Yankees a couple years past. And I think that, uh, overall things are still trending well in that whole direction with the coaching staff and stuff. Um, we'll see how Nevin looks in a first full year. He gets a real off season to kind of work with the guys. And yeah, I think that the Otani conversations being put to bed, um, is going to help the team in the off season too. just have a clear, 
um, idea of what the game plan is, right? There's not going to be this worry of, oh, maybe we should like trade Otani and tank, or maybe we yeah. should uh, just spend big and, and risk it all on this season. Maybe Otani leaves. Now we know who's starting game one. <laughs> a good, another good point as well. I think that it really kind of clears some stuff up um, in, in for the Oakland. Team. <laughs> Fun. Oakland will have a good time facing him for uh, for a third time. <laughs> Fun times. Uh, Angels starting the season in in the Coliseum yet again. But yeah, um, yep. and maybe uh, maybe Jose Suarez will become like the new like Cliff Lee now. You know, just like you think just, so. Just cutter and sinker of just could be masterful movements and yeah yeah I, who knows yeah i'd like to see it but um <laughs> I, I i'm not as hopeful but we'll we'll see we have so much offseason travis to kind of discuss you know who we think the angels would target uh what what they need to do to kind of be the team we thought they were in may and not the team they ended up being you know in in august september so we'll cover all that um you know plenty of days to come here but that pretty much wraps up the episode definitely does uh a lot of good stuff Astros world champions. Philly's a great run, but I, 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 just I, short. I don't want to get all into it, but I, I am. We'll cover it in a, in a future episode. I do really wonder um, what the game plan is for the Phillies now because actually, you know, we have time. Just five minutes. Let's just let's just get into it. Just because I. God, you sound like a college professor trying to freaking get out of class right now. You're just trying to. You're, <laughs> you thought I was gonna let you out early. Um, I, I think that now is just a it's just a perfect opportunity to kind of. Uh, give a, a brief thought of how do the Phillies how do the Phillies view this because we do know are they more like a Nationals of 2019 where the next year a couple guys left and they just were a d- done deal like time to tank again or the Braves last year had a very similar run in 2021 ended up being even better in the regular season this season um do you think the Phillies are going to have the ability to kind of stack on some more contracts, um, rework things, uh, build up and say, you know, we were that close. Let's go even harder. Or do you think maybe they were just like this 80 whatever win team fluke and next year there might be an 80 win team and not make the playoffs? Uh, and also, I'll add one note. I was browsing Twitter a second ago and Aaron Nola was picked up by the team option there was a team option he will be a philly next year oh wow okay so i thought that he was an outright free agent but there was that team option apparently so that's going to be great for their pitching staff if they're going to if they're going to keep wheeler and nola there at the top of things i know eflin opted out he had a player option eflin opted out and there was someone else that uh, Syndergaard won't be or probably won't be back he'll be a free agent of course Um, and then also gene segura okay uh Team option not picked up, so okay. he's a free agent. Okay. So they're letting okay. him go. So they can probably have some internal stuff. Maybe Stott goes to second base, or maybe they have someone else in mind for second yeah. or shortstop. So, yeah. but but give me your overall thought of what's the mindset in that front office? Are we going to stack the deck and try to run it back and be better than last year, or you think they're run? They kind of missed their chance. I think uh, it's it's. I think it's a little bit of both. I think you missed your chance a little bit. I think that that division is just so tough that it's just going to be hard to you know look at the next couple seasons and say, we're just going to go out there and beat the Braves and beat the Mets. The Mets, of course, we already know are retooling and they're going to get better. And Cohen's going to go out there and spend money. Um, the Braves, of course, are going to have Acuna back healthy. They're going to have Albies back, uh, Ozzy Albies back healthy. They're probably going to have a young guy start at shortstop. I don't think they're going to have Swanson come back. So maybe a, um, 
but I think his name is Vaughn Grisham. He might be the starting shortstop. Or maybe they move Albies to short. I don't know what's going to happen up there. Maybe they go out and they get a new shortstop. But um, the Braves just are a winning organization. And I think that they'll have really good success next year as well. I think that the Phillies, though, need to still kind of push for that. They still have an opportunity in the four, five, or six seed slot. I think that going out and, you know, Right now, you have a really good base with your starting pitching. Wheeler, Nola, and Suarez. That's a very good top three. Possibly go out there and get a couple more pitchers that are durable. They can get you, uh, you know, eight innings up later on in the season. I don't know if Syndergaard's going to be that guy, but uh, I think definitely exploring a four starter would be very big. And then, of course, probably retooling that bullpen up a little bit. I think, um, I think the bullpen was... It was inconsistent all season long. It definitely finished very, very nicely, but it definitely was inconsistent. I know the beginning part, the first two months, Alex, I think their bullpen was blowing game after game, and that was just their Achilles heel. It seemed like, it seems like it's been their Achilles heel for the past couple seasons, but their offense is still going to be top-notch, one of the best in the NL. Maybe go out there and get a, um, a, a, a lockdown middle infielder. I don't know if you want to have Stott go to second or you keep Stott at short, go out there and get a second baseman. Uh, and then of course go out there and possibly, you know, probably, I, I, I think Brandon Marsh will probably be their center fielder moving forward. And maybe they want to get a guy that can, um, share center field with him. Maybe they want to get a corner outfielder to, you know, give Schwarber and Castellanos days off. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I think that they are a team that's still going to be uh, a threat next season and all that, and all that. But I, I don't hundred percent know if they're going to be, uh, you know, back to the world series again. I think these kind of runs are just magical and they're, they're, there's just a lot of luck involved. So I, of course. I, I definitely don't know if they can make that run again next year. Uh, but I, I definitely do think when you look at the over overall National League, I mean, I, I think looking at the projections already for next year, you know the Dodgers are going to be good. You know the Padres are going to be good having Tatis back. You know, of course, the uh, the Cardinals should be good as well. Atlanta, New York, Philly, you know, those two, those, those three teams. Um, you know, the NL Central, they're really the only team you got to worry about is Milwaukee. And right now, Milwaukee has not really been down to spend. So are they going to be down to spend? That's a question mark. And then you look at the West. Will the Giants make a huge splash and go out there and get a guy like Judge? Will they get other pieces as well? So the NL is pretty open. It's different from the AL. The AL, in my opinion, is very... It, it, it's there are a handful of teams there, that are, there are a handful of teams that will make some noise next year i mean right now you can't I, i'm i'm of course waiting to see what the red sox do this offseason baltimore seems to be getting better um who will regress in the in the al east the central the white Sox. i think we're definitely going to see them be a contender next year and possibly win the division next year um cleveland of course a good threat and then the west houston seattle uh, let's see if Texas gets better, um, you know, for, for that side. But I think the NL, there's there's seven to eight pretty, pretty dominant teams, and that's really who you can count on. I don't see Miami. I don't see Washington, Chicago, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Arizona, or Colorado at all making any noise next year for a playoff spot. So Phillies have to be looking at it as – Let's look at this as for the next two or three seasons, we can we can make the most of this because I think after two or three seasons, you you got Schwarber and you got Castellanos probably coming off those those books. I think you only have two. I think you have two more years of Wheeler. And so you kind of got to make a big push, I think, for the next couple of seasons to get back to the playoffs, hopefully start that late, uh, late October run again. And so uh, 
for my answer right there, I think that they should make some make some good, smart decisions this offseason to, uh, to to hopefully get back to that possible division winning team, or if not, get back to the four through six seed um, and have yourself another magical October again. So, yeah, yeah. I pretty much sign off on everything you said. I think it all makes uh, sense to me. They are losing quite a bit of pieces. I mentioned Segura and, Cinder- and you mentioned Syndergaard. Yeah. Also, I think, yeah, Kniebel. Um, a handful of other bullpen arms are free agents now, but um, we, what we do know is Dombrowski is down to spend to make up for that. So I'm excited to track them in the offseason. We'll wrap this up. You know, in the coming weeks, we'll have a free agent breakdown. We'll talk about different teams and their needs. Uh, we'll react to some awards, a lot of fun stuff on the horizon. I feel like the MLB offseason tends to be uh, still tons to talk about. Every big signing will be on it. So we'll talk to you guys uh, ASAP. And if you made it this far, Thanks so much for listening. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. <laughs>